I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Michael Gavier. Uh, his new book is If Anything Happens, I Love You. School shooting drills have become as ubiquitous as fire drills. Children today don't know of a time when they weren't a part of their safety routine. But what is not a routine is discussing the emotions and trauma that linger long after an actual school shooting occurs. Authors Michael Govier and William McCormick offer a story of a family struggling with loss as a permission slip to react to grief, as well as an opening to conversation. Based on the Academy Award-winning short film of the same name, it is uniquely told from the perspective of Rose, a 12-year-old victim of a school shooting. As she guides readers throughout her story, she visits scenes from her childhood, her school days, and her last moments of life, all the while watching over her parents as they struggle to process her untimely passing. Uh, Govier, uh, Mr. Govier, has been featured in the L.A. Times, is an author, director, screenwriter, actor, playwright, and producer. Welcome to the show, Michael. Nice to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, I've, I've seen the film. I've read the book. I mean, you are tackling a very, very difficult emotional process. Uh, and I guess Absolutely. my... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that people... and. You know, I you, I don't know if it's mentioned in the in in the beginning of the book and the forward, but uh, it's it's something that many of us just don't want to talk about, either the person or the family that it's happened to, or even the friends that try to comfort them. Nobody knows what to say. So, what? How did you? I guess my first question is how? What made you decide to to tackle this very difficult? Um, loss, I guess, the worst loss that, that, yeah, that parents can experience. Yeah. Absolutely. We, yeah, it was, you know, kind of, you know, almost unthinkable loss as far as, uh, you know, what parents would have to go for. I mean, it's normally a natural order of things that, you know, parents bury their, you know, our children bury their parents, you know, not the other way around. And um, so we just, we had been working a lot through grief, like our own personal grief, and, you know, what that feels like. And so we started from a place of there. We wanted to, like, create a film and create a book that kind of shows what grief looks like, those quiet moments of grief. And then when we wanted to, uh, you know, we were discussing, like, how uh, Rose died. We realized, you know, when we grew up, we didn't have active shooter drills. All we had was fire drills and those kind of things in such a different world and it's such a different stress on these kids that are in these schools. And so we wanted to show this and really, we really wanted to do is not focus on the act, but focus on the aftermath, focus on the grief that the parents are feeling, that the community is feeling, that what that loss looks like. Because a lot of times you feel, or at least from the outside, it seems like, you know, the news cycle, you know, obsesses on, you know, the act, what happened, what happened. And then a lot of times the people who are, you know, uh, devastated and, and wounded for life kind of get left a little bit behind and don't get, you know, discussed really, because I think people get a little overwhelmed with dealing with that much grief. Yeah, I, I think that in the media and uh, even sometimes those around them, it's like, well, we're going to provide counselors for you. And that's sort of the end of it. And so here are the counselors. And, and uh, now we're finished with dealing with your grief. 
And obviously it goes on and on. So let's talk about Rose. Rose, I mean, you said this is related to your own grief in a similar kind of situation, or was it a different kind of situation? It, it was not not in a one-to-one, like in a, a school uh, shooting like that. It was just, you know, I think Will and I both had our own personal grief of losing close ones to us, what that loss is, losing, you know, Will recently lost his parent, lost my mother-in-law, I've lost, you know, we've lost other, you know, I've lost lots of close friends, and um, to gun violence, but not necessarily this kind, you know, um, a lot of gun violence in America is actually suicides, and um, that is is where, where I've had my experience as far as that. Uh so it's like we just put in that, and that's that on loss, what you feel. Like all of a sudden you find a scrap of paper with the loved one's handwriting on it, and you're flooded back with them in the room. Um, you listen to the song you always listen to, and you, and you just remember them. And you're just so uh, happy, but you're brought back to those moments. And we wanted to put those into the book um, to kind of have those discussions and just that, that remembering a life. I think that was something that uh, meant something to me when I was reading the book and and Rose's mother finds her, the, they had taken this family trip together to the Grand Canyon and she finds her mm-hmm. Grand Canyon shirt and she smells the shirt and it smells like her daughter. And then that kind of begins to connect her back to her feelings of, uh, of Rose. And I was thinking when my father died, I was nine months pregnant and of mm-hmm. course, so we never lived to see the baby. But uh, the only oh. coat that fit me, because he died in January, uh, was his coat, and it was very comforting. Yeah. And it, you know, and you could smell him on the coat, and I could feel him. And it, it, that sort of reminded me of that that sort of connection that I had uh, reading the story, or um, you know, Rose's story. Um, so absolutely that, that's, I think that's so universal. I think we all feel that, you know, and smell and, you know, touch of the fabric of the jacket and the smell, it just brings you right there. And that loved one is there and it's, it's so comforting. Yeah. I think you have to let it in though. I I mean, don't you think sometimes it can be so painful, uh, people don't want to touch anything or get near or they close the 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 bedroom of where the person died and they don't go in there for weeks or maybe months at a time. It's too painful. You can have both reactions. 100%. I mean, grief is so uniquely personal to however people are choosing to, re- and it's, you know, choosing to react. And I think, you know, the, the more you can let it in, the more you can kind of, you know, just, you know, start to open that door, you know, and, and, and help remember to help kind of bring move forward, I think is a great thing, but it's like grief is so hard. I mean, and it's a day to day. It's like the tide. It's like, Oh, wow. There's a huge wave today of grief that just hit me. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're laughing and having a great day in the next moment. And it just has this strange, unique flow. Um, and I think the bravest thing you can do is just like, you know, you just get up every morning, you know, you take a shower and you just, okay, I'm, I'm here today. And that's, I think kind of the first steps just to kind of keep, keep going. And, and no matter how big or little that looks. I think one of the things that sometimes holds us back, we have people, uh, whether it's, you know, friends or family or even professionals, although not usually who will tell you that there's a, well, maybe that there's a time frame for your grief. If you, if you haven't gotten over it or you haven't gone forward uh, after six months or nine months, then there's something wrong with you. And I think we're getting away that's from that. The, yeah, 
we, I know. Whatever that is that's layered into our culture is yeah. so unfortunate, and it's so destructive and unhelpful to anyone who's grieving. Because it's like, you know, uh, you know, my wife lost her brother very young. Um, he died. He got really ill, and he got bacterial meningitis and died within 24 hours. And this was 21 years ago. And she still gets hit with grief because she lost her brother. There's no timeline that says you can't, you know, grieve and remember and, and have these deep feelings for your loved ones. And the fact that it's like, you know, I think it's so detrimental when people are like, well, you know, that was six months ago. That was a year ago. Aren't you? And you're like, and I do have sympathy for that person because it's like, clearly they're very blessed right now. They have not had any kind of deep grief yet. And they will. And the deep grief will show up for them, but right now it hasn't. And I think they're coming from a place of not having maybe a fuller experience that uh, we all will have at some point. I also think that uh, that's fairly, um, I, I use the word typical, but in the beginning, one may not grieve as much. It gets worse, not better. Because there are holidays, there are situations, there are lots of things 100%. that happen that that person is not there at. And those happen later, not in the beginning, and it becomes more painful. So it's it's not like this straight, you know, arrow to feeling yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just like, well, we did it. Great. I, my, yeah. I, I, did, I turned on my <laughs> grieving clock and it's been four months and oh, man, great job. Let's let's. No, it's exactly what you're saying. And the holidays are hard. Birthdays are hard. Like any of these family gatherings, because now there's, you know, there's an empty chair at the table. And that's hard, you know. And, and it should be acknowledged that it's there. And you don't have to, you know, fight it. But it's, you're going to have, you know, a big reactions and, and, and you, know, you know, hopefully, you know, healthy reactions, um, you know, to it. And just let yourself, you know, feel that. Particularly when one, as this book is about, when one loses a child, uh, I think that parents often don't want to, it's very painful to be with, with the friends of, of your son or daughter. And that changes, hopefully, over time, whatever your time frame is, mm-hmm. and that you can reconnect because it's too painful to see them alive and well and, and, um, and happy. And so that's, I think that's also Absolutely. part of it. Yeah. And I you think know, one, a part of it is like, and that's what we try to show in the film and the book, where it's like, you know, even the parents, you know, a lot of times when you lose a child, like, you know, statistically, they, uh, you know, they will get divorced. You know, it's yeah. very, very common that the relationship is just, it gets so, you know, broken. And, and that's kind of where the story starts in both with the parents. Like, they're, it's about, it's, you know, it's almost a divorce book at the beginning, you know, yeah. like this is going to end. And, um, and then, you know, they go back to, it's like, you know, Rose doesn't solve her parents. They don't fix anything. She just gives them like kind of the courage and by remembering like, you know, today, let's get up, let's go for a walk. Let's just, you know, keep, keep going today and just kind of live moment by moment like that. And I think that's kind of where you need to be, um, you know, when you're in that such deep grief, it's just so hard. I think what, what, uh, Rose, one thing she said was talk about and I how I live, not how I died. 
And I think maybe you mentioned or touched on it in the beginning of the interview, people they talk about how the person died and, and the, the tragedy, but they don't talk about how they lived. And, and that's the important I, I, thing I in the end. Yeah, 100%. And that's such a, such a thing because it's like, you know, we want to know, it's like, you know, the act, the end of life is just that one moment. But there was, you know, a million moments before that moment. And they were all, you know, even more special. And even, you know, and that's the moment. That's the person. That's who you want to remember. And that's what it is. And it's like they're all valid. And I think it's um, sometimes it gets so hung up, especially the media. You know, like, I enjoy it when they do stories about people who pass. And you get to hear something about their lives and hear about them. And, and it's we're taking the focus off of... Uh, you know, the act, the shooter, these other people that don't really deserve our time. Um, and it should be more focused on, you know, these wonderful people. Well, there is, according to the statistic that I have here, your film, the first film, generated 7 million views and counting. So this, you really touched on something uh, for it is public- hit. It is yeah. actually on TikTok. It's hit 70 million uh, TikTok views. And then on Netflix, it's been watched over 100 million times. Well, as the author of and uh, the uh, producer of the film, what do you think that says about our culture? Not just our culture. Obviously, this is global. It was worldwide. It was worldwide. Yeah, it's worldwide. I mean, it, it yeah. It's insane. And this is the thing that's so unique about the film and the book. When we did the uh, film... We pitched it to studios, you know, we even pitched it to Netflix, where it's currently streaming. Um, everyone said the film's too sad and no one will watch it. That's what we were told directly to us. It's too sad, no one will watch it. And I think it's just, and we felt in our heart of hearts, it's not too sad and people do want to watch this. We do want to have these big feelings and feel, you know, you know these deep, deep feelings. And we, it, was, it was amazing when... You know, the world showed up to watch the film, and it, it was launched by going TikTok on vi- uh, viral on TikTok because all these young people would film themselves before watching it, in the middle of watching it, and after watching it. They kind of made a challenge, and they were just crying and having these emotional, intimate experiences. And a lot of times, you know, if you go and watch these videos, the kids just say, I need, I'm going to go hug my mom. I'm going to go tell my dad I love him. And it just kind of like helped this appreciation of life and also kind of what you have. And, and all these kids just showed up for it and were emotionally available and welcoming um, to have these experiences. But also I think it was cathartic because these things are happening to them and, and it's not really being discussed in kind of a way of like uh, of how that grief hits them. It's more discussed of like, okay, we need more active shooter drills. And it's like, I don't know if that's actually like emotionally as healthy as maybe having real discussions about how this is actually affecting you. Well, what about your film? Is it a film that you would, that could, I mean, could, to me, it sounds like a film that should be shown in schools. Um, as it, you say, I mean, I, yes, 100%. I know, you know, we, we, uh, we're friends and had worked with um, every town for gun safety and they have used it at multiple seminars and also with moms demand action. And they have used it in smaller chapters to begin discussions on grief. 
and they would show the film and have, you know, discussions with um, survivors and um, people to, you know, help uh, start conversation. Because it's like sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to start from a blank slate. But if you can say, I have that, you know, I relate to that. Just like you said, you related to the clothing. You know, a lot of other survivors have said that same thing, that they related to finding the clothing, the smell of them, and all of a sudden there's a conversation. And now we're beginning somewhere. And I think that's where it's really helped um, these different communities. I, I think it exposes an emotional vulnerability, which is a good thing. And and it does it in the right context. And as you say, with people who can connect because they too have had that experience um, instead mm-hmm. of talking yeah, about school drills, about active shooters. I mean, that really is a disconnect. It's something you may want to do, but it's really not related to all the emotional experience of all that's happened as you're, you know, the, the, the horror and, um, but, you know, the reaction you said from the company, you know, when you wanted to produce the film, that's fairly typical. And I, and I think a lot of, I mean, maybe you can come on, comment on this. I think a lot of, and I'm generalizing, but I think a lot of American films tend to whitewash things in that way. Different than maybe some of the European films or even some of the films in the UK or Australia. And I, I've noticed we always have to have a, a good ending even if it's kind of not, uh, you know, if a difficult topic in the beginning, it has to end up with a good ending, the story. And there's a, n- n- a lot of the films don't have a, an emotional reality to them. I agree. I think there is, you know, there's people are very nervous about that, especially in film. I think television right now is kind of having a moment where you're getting a little more of this more emotional depth and, and some other kind of things going on. But uh, film in general, people are nervous. And I think, exec- you know, people are, uh, you know, executives and, and different studios are very nervous because they think, like, no one will watch it. And also then it being an animation is also you get another strike against you because, you know, a lot of times people put animation into the kids' lane, which is unfortunate because, you know, animation is not a genre. It's the medium. It's a form. It's like painting. It's just a way of delivering a message. And you can make every kind of story within that. And I think that's sometimes hard for people because they expect all their animation to be kind of like, you know, a Pixar film or something like this, or Disney, this very contained thing, as opposed to letting it, you know, animation in general be a full spectrum. It's film. It can be whatever it wants. And I think sometimes that was also hard because, uh, you know, people didn't know what to do with the film because they're like, well, it's not like these other things. And we're saying, yeah, and it's just like, if you look at all the best pictures that get nominated, none of them are alike. They're all different and they're all unique in this wonderful way. And that's what makes film great. And I think that's this a bias that has happens within animation that um, we're happy to kind of like push it along a little bit with our piece to try to help to open up these other stories that, that I want to watch. And I know, you know, we all want to see, because obviously there's a market there. People want to see these kind of films. It's just a matter of like letting people create them. So you've created them. What do you say to those people who said, Oh no, this is never going to go. You're not going to be able to do that. It's too painful. It's too <laughs> it, was, it was, it was hard. I mean, it's a long road. I mean, everyone, it's literally, everyone is telling you no. And then when it's like, we've got to keep building this, like we knew in our heart, like this is special. There's something here. And we just kept building it and kept building it until we found, you know, 
enough people and enough support to finish the film. And then we had a festival run, and it was, I think, the fourth time we went back to Netflix, and they saw the full completed film, and it really touched them that they said, okay, we, we're going to try this, but they still had, like, one foot out, like, I don't know what to do with you, but we'll try this. And um, it broke all their, you know, metrics that they have. And I'm sure you've seen, like, you know how they have the top 10 thing listed of the top 10 films and television shows. I asked them, you know, in a meeting before the film was released, I said, how do we get on that? Like, how do we do that? And they laughed and they said, don't worry about it. You never will. The numbers you have to do to get on that is astronomical. Don't even worry about it. Like, don't even set that as a bar. Our film hit the top 10 in 75 countries and we were number one in 16. And it's the first time a short had ever done it on their platform. And, and literally the guy who does, you know, the percentages, he's basically, you know, he builds these algorithms and I was talking to him and I said, what's, what's going on here? And, and he said, he said, normally he's within two to 3% because he guesses what a film will do based on all of his, you know, math and these things, he was off by a thousand percent with ours. And That's that amazing. just shows that people want to feel like people want to feel like they, it, yeah. the people showed up, you know? So you went back to next, you said four times. So you don't take no four, for an yeah. answer, what, <laughs> I'm assuming. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also, yeah, it's, it's, there's, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of times, especially in this business, I mean, even with the book publishing, I mean, we, we, we pitched a lot of places with the book, and we, we instantly hit the next same thing. They said, yeah, the film's good, but the book, it's going to be too sad. No one will want to read that book. And it's the same thing. And then we found Simon and Schuster who distributed it, and Andrews McMeal, and, you know, Patty Rice at Andrews McMeal, and... They're like, no, this is special, and it's it's the book's been doing very well, and it's 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 hard. You just got to keep going back and kind of saying like, no, really explaining to people why this has value, so they can see what you're seeing, and so that's why it's like not taking no for an answer. It's just like, okay, it's no right now, you know. Let's see what you get, you know, in four months. Let's see what we let's have a conversation again, you know. And it's- Obviously, it's you and your partner. Uh, that has to be something special to support each other to be able to do this. I mean, the, the yes, yeah. yes. My partnership with Will. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, he's my best. He's a great, he's a good friend. My one of my best friends, and also just an incredible artist and writer and a filmmaker. So it's been good to have that kind of partnership, and it's been nice to build something with someone. You know, so you kind of have that ally in the room. Um, and also you have someone to say, it's like, I don't think we're crazy, right? This is special. He's like, no, I'm feeling it too. This is very special. I'm like, okay, great. Because, you know, sometimes when you're building a piece, you know, uh, at least writing by yourself, there's always this moment of like, am I the only one who loves this or will people feel this? <laughs> right. you know? I love my book. I don't know if anyone else will. Exactly. Exactly. Is it gonna, yeah. yeah. Is it going to be me and like, you know, a couple of relatives or like, who's going to actually, right. you know, like... <laughs> that's funny. Well, you two have got it. You guys have done it. This is great. And, uh, I really, it's a, the film is great. The book is great. Uh, you got to keep on going. I'm, I know, I'm sure you will. But um, yes. a couple minutes left. So, um, you know, people want to know what you're doing, what you're doing next. Give us a website, websites to go to, to read the book, to see the film. Um, where can they go? What do they do? 
Great. Uh, if you're looking to find me, I'm mostly like on Instagram. It's kind of my current thing. And uh, it's uh, my handle is at uh, Dr. Govier, D-R Govier. And uh, the re- I'm not a doctor, just a full disclosure, but I will put this out there. My whole life, I've always wanted to get an honorary doctorate. And I got the handle before I got the doctorate. So I'm in the market <laughs> for an honorary doctorate to fulfill the prophecy <laughs> of my handle. <laughs> like, You'll find somebody. Um, I know you will. Good, good. Yeah. I hope so, Catherine. That'd be wonderful. Uh, and then uh, I, uh, but more about the film, go to if, if anything happens, I love you.com. You can go there and it will show there's some also behind the scenes interviews uh, with Laura Dern, Courtney Cox, Rashida Jones, which are very cool. You can check those out. Um, and then the next project, like Will and I are currently, you know, writing and working on another animated feature that we're, it's kind of currently in development. And so we're very excited about that. So that should probably come out in the next couple of years. And um, yeah, that's, those are the main, main things I have going on. Sounds great. And uh, I, I love it. I love you two guys. And I love Laura Dern. I have to say that too. Um, and I've been talking to author Michael Govier. If anything happens, I love you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Great talking to you. Thank you so much. I absolutely appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> <laughs> 